it, Red Arms. Give it your all. We'll drink the wine till the cup is dry and kiss the girls and then the cry and toss the dice until we fly and dance with Jack of the Shadows. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Tales of Red Arm. I'm your host, Justin, and we're jumping into Chapter 7, The Way Out of the Mountains. Um, quick recap would be in Chapter 6, near the end, um, well, the whole thing's basically Rand left, and they're trying to figure out where he went. Um, Perrin has, go, like, a dream of uh, Kalendor in the Heart of the Stone. Kalendor, the sword that cannot be touched. And, um, and it's also the sword that is not a sword. But he has this dream, and then Land goes out and asks all the other guys, and apparently other people have also been having a similar dream. Um, so they figure out, like, oh, he's heading that direction. Now, how did he get out of the camp? And then um, they find out that he, when he tried to do basically the one power and whatnot, it opened up a new path uh, that he could take a horse gently and cautiously and make it down. But uh, yeah, so that's how he gets out. But um, I decided like, hey, we're going to, you know, head out as soon as basically we get the chance to and Perrin and Min have basically this somewhat awkward conversation where Perrin thinks that she's crushing on him or something misunderstand what she's saying and uh basically figures out that she has a thing for Rand um yeah so <laughs> it was a funny little go-to but yeah chapter seven the way out of the mountains um Basically, as they're leaving their little camp, uh, they're going further and further down the mountain. The snow starts to disappear, and spring kind of shows up. And Land goes and scouts for a bit, and comes back and tells them what's going on, and you know, just trying to find little itty bitty things that would tell them like where which way to go, like grass being, you know, bent down or pushed down or weeds pushed one way or the other, you know, little things that you're like, how do you figure this out from this person? And how do you know it's this person when, if you're in a big open plain area that anybody could go, how do you know they're not going this direction? So they're in the mountains where if they go West, they go towards Almuth plain. And when they go East, you'd go towards the two rivers, but going over the mountains is a little bit more difficult. So not what they're doing. So they're going to Almuth Plain on their west, and then they're going south. And uh, they pass through uh, Almuth Plain, Terrabon, I believe, and uh, move towards... Uh, well, they're on their way moving towards Tyr in some situation, because that's where they're figuring out where he's going to go. They're just going to have to go there. Um... Moraine's getting a little antsy and she's trying to urge them to go faster and whatnot. And Lan's like, well, we'll go slower if a horse breaks a leg. And then she, that's what he tells her when she complains. And she replies the same. He's like, well, if we can't move any faster than this, maybe I should send you off to, uh, Morel before, Morel, I should say, before you get any older. Well, perhaps she could wait, but you have to move us faster. And it's kind of like one of those things where, she, it's almost it's almost a joke. Like she's hiding it 
as a joke, but there's almost like a real threat because she's irritated by how slow they're going. And Lan does not like this. And his mouth tightens, even if she smiles and pats his shoulder. And parents like, who's Murel? And Loyal's like, oh, I don't know, but people who pry into Isidai's affairs, not, not so good. Then we get a little bit of a description from Loyal. He's like, the Ogier's hairy, fetlocked horse was as tall and heavy as a Durin stallion, but with Loyal's long legs dangling to either side, the animal looked undersized like a large pony. I think large and pony are kind of an oxymoron, but that's more of a description concept. It's large, but it's a pony comparative to him. But Moraine, you know, gives an amused secretive smile. And it's like, oh, just a green sister, someone to whom Lan must one day deliver a package for safekeeping. And Lan's like, nope, not any day soon. Never if I can help it. You'll outlive me long, Moraine. And it's downright open anger in his voice. Like he is not happy with this. And I don't know if we've actually covered it. We might have, I, I don't want to ruin the potential stories coming up because of this or the character development. So I'm not going to explain it. If you haven't found it, just know that you'll get to the point Where all this makes sense. So tuck it away for later. Um, and Perrin's like, man, she has way too many secrets. But he doesn't say anything more. And he's like, I'm not going to talk about something that's going to crack Lan's iron self-control. And Moraine had a blanket-wrapped bundle tied behind her saddle. And it's got the dragon banner. And Perrin's not particularly fond of that. But Moraine doesn't ask his opinion or listen if he offered it. And no one would recognize it anyway, but he's he's hoping that she keeps it her secrets from other people as well as she keeps them from them. And it seems to be kind of a boring journey, and you just, just basically see one mountain after the other, all snow capped and cloud capped and stuff. But Supper's kind of rabbit, you know, that parent kills the sling. And he doesn't have enough arrows to risk, you know, shooting at rabbits in the rocky country. But breakfast is cold, rabbit, more often than not. And then midday meal, the same, but eat in the saddle. But then they occasionally camp near a stream. And if there's light enough to see, him and Loyal catch mountain trout while they lie on their bellies with their hands and elbow deep in cold water tickling the green-backed fish out from under the rock ledges where they hid, and Loyal's fingers, big as they were, were even more deft than Perrin's. And then, three days after setting out, Moraine joins them, and she stretches herself out on the stream side, and undoing rows of pearl buttons to roll up her sleeves, and just asks how it's done. Perrin looks at Loyal, and they're both shocked. And Ogier's like, well, okay. And Perrin's like, well, it's not that hard. Just bring your hand up from behind the fish. And underneath, and as if you're trying to tickle its belly, well, then you pull it out. Just takes practice, though. You might not catch anything the first few times you try. Loyal's like, I tried for days before I ever caught anything. But he's putting his hands in the ground, or into the water already, to keep his sh uh, shadow from scaring the fish. He's like, oh, as difficult as that. So she slips her hands in the water, and then a moment later comes out with a fat trout 
thrashed at the surface and she catches or she laughs with the light she tosses it up onto the bank and Perrin just looks at it like flopping and he blinks and he's just like it has to weigh at least five pounds and he's like wow you were very lucky trout that size don't often shelter on a ledge this small i'll have to move upstream a bit it'll be dark before any of them settle under this ledge again he's like oh is that so well you guys go ahead i'm gonna i'm gonna stay here and try again so Perrin hesitates and he's like all right he's like she's up to something but he doesn't know what and i'm like it's so so obvious so obvious what she's up to but it troubles him that he doesn't know what so he gets belly down and tries to not let his shadow fall on the water but after he looks over the edge you know he sees a half a dozen slender shapes you know the fish uh suspended in the water barely moving to hold their place and all of them together would not weigh as much as moraine's fish so he decided with this he decides with the side he's just like oh, well for lucky him and loyal might get to a piece but the shadow of the trees on the far bank already stretched across the water whatever they caught now would be it and loyal's appetite was big enough by itself to swallow these four and most of the bigger fish too but loyal's hands are already easing up one of the trout before Perrin could even slide his hands into the water, Maureen gives a shout. He's like, well, three should be enough, I think. The last two are bigger than the first. And Perrin looks over at Loyal, startled. He's like, she can't have. And the ogre's just like, meh. She has eyes to die. And it's like, yep. When they get back to Moraine, they got three large trout on the bank, and she's already buttoning up her sleeves. And I want to point out that while Moraine could have done this legitimately and just been a quick learner or she spent random times doing this when she was on her travels and stuff, I don't know why she'd be teasing them. I guess maybe she's just teasing them on purpose to get a good laugh out of it. But she might have had some experience doing it normally. But I get the feeling it's more likely that she uses the one power to trap the trout and then grab them. I mean, they didn't even make it to the next one over like a little bit further down before she had caught in all uh, another two really fat ones. And honestly, if, if loyal's um, appetite is as big as they make it sound like, I would assume they'd catch a little bit extra, even if they're small ones, but Perrin was going to try to remind her, you know, whoever catches the fish is supposed to clean them. But, at that same moment, she catches his eye and no particular expression on her face, but her dark eyes did not waver and they appear to know what he's going to say and to dismiss it out of hand already. Uh, she turns away, just now it's too late to tell her that she's responsible for it. So he mutters to himself and he pulls out his belt knife and starts gutting in the heading. And then all of a sudden, he's like, all of a sudden she's forgotten about sharing the chores, it seems. I suppose she'll want us to do the cooking as well and the cleaning up after. And Loyal's like, yeah, probably. She is eyes to die. And Perrin's like, I seem to remember hearing that somewhere. Not sure where. The Shinarans might have been willing to run around fetching and caring for her, but there's only four of us now, and we should keep on turn and turn about. Only fair. He's like, yeah, not likely she sees the same way. I mean, she had to put up with Rand first, arguing with her all the time, and now you're ready to take over for him. So, as a rule, I said I do not let anyone argue with them. 
I expect she means to have us back in the habit of doing things she says pretty much by the time we get to the next village. And lands like a good habit to be in. And he throws back his cloak. And he kind of appeared out of nowhere because of the cloak. And Perrin nearly falls over from surprise. And Loyal's ears go stiff with shock. And they hadn't heard him his step. Now I am surprised by Perrin because Perrin's ears are pretty good. Especially now that he's also got really good vision. And Land kind of strides off towards Moray and the horses, and he's like, well, it's a habit you should have never lost. He's obviously pretty protective of Gout, Moraine, and people who listen to her and don't like people talking back to her and stuff. But his boots barely make a sound, even on the rocky ground, which I think is even more sense. It's either gravel rock they're referring to, because if it's like a big like slab, you don't hear boots on those things. You can sneak across them pretty easily. He's like, but once he's a few paces away and the cloak he's wearing hangs down his back and gives him the uneasy appearance of a disembodied head and arms drifting up the stream. It's like, that would be kind of terrifying. And Perrin's like, we need her to find Rand, but I'm not going to let her shape my life anymore. And he goes back to cleaning. And he wants to keep the process. Really, really, he does. He does. He really does. But during the days that follow, in some way he did not quite understand, he keeps finding that him and Loyal were doing the cooking, the cleaning up, and other little chore that Moraine thought of. But he even discovered that somehow or other he'd basically taken over tending to Aldi, but every night, unsettling the mare, rubbing her down while Moraine settles herself in apparent alleged deep thought. I can only assume that she's thinking about Rand and his plans, how he plans to get to Tyr, how he plans to get into the Stone of Tear. But I'll read this next part, I think. Because it's on the list. Loyal gave in to it as inevitable, but not Perrin. He tried refusing, resisting. But it was hard to resist when she made a reasonable suggestion. And a small one at that. Only there was always another suggestion behind it. As reasonable and small as the first. And then the uh, another. The simple force of her presence, the strength of her gaze, made it difficult to protest. Her dark eyes would catch his at the moment he opened his mouth. A lift of her eyebrow to suggest he was being rude. A surprise widening of her eyes that he could object to so small a request. A level stare that held in it everything that was Aes Sedai. All these things could make him hesitate. And once he hesitated, there was never any recovering lost ground. He accused her of using the one power on him, though he did not really think that was it, and she told him not to be a fool. He began to feel like a piece of iron trying to stop a smith from hammering it into a scythe. <laughs> It's a great relationship they have. But eventually, the mountains of mist give away to these foothills that are pretty heavily forested and gilded on. And it's pretty much up and down, so basically Arkansas. But it was never very high. And there's, you know, deer and all that stuff. But Perrin now only catches the faintest glimpse of the gray striped mountain cats that 
you know, show that basically they're leaving the wilds and going into the lands of men. Land stops wearing his color-shifting cloak and begins writing back to the rest of them more often, telling them what's going on ahead. And there's a lot of places where the trees had all been cut down and then fields just encircling rough stone walls. At a fair number of farmers plowing, you know, the side of the hills, it's pretty regular, especially common. But it wasn't necessarily frequent, but more often than not. And then people moving across the plowed ground, you know, sewing, doing all their fun stuff. And he's thinking about the wolves not being here because they avoid places where men are, but parents still could sense them. It's like, well, they shouldn't be here. There's this unseen screen and escort ringing them out to party. And I don't really understand why they're escorting them. Maybe they're curious about young bull, but it never really explains like why they're there just that they are i'm like well i mean if they're heading this direction anyway maybe i just don't see the need for it really but he gets impatient and he wants to reach a village or a town where there's enough men to make the wolves go away but after they spot i should say the day after sighting the first field um, just when the sun touched the horizon, they came into Jara, a little village that's in the far north of the border with Amadisia in Giladon. And that's the end of the chapter. It's a very, very short chapter, um, but it's basically the connecting point before finding out, like, hey, we got attacked, boom, Rand's gone, boom, we're heading down, and then... Boom, we're showing up at a place. What's going to happen? And that's basically what we find out in the next episode. Slash chapter. So. Yeah, it's. Not such a bad. Beginning to the story, I guess. Um, what did you guys think? Did you think it was uh, particularly exciting funny whatever i know it's not a whole lot of content but i thought there was at least a lot of humor in it um the next chapter will have a little bit more excitement in it at least that's how i see it and we'll get a little bit of character development and i i personally appreciated it a bit more because first impressions kind of push you a bit off balance and somebody has to regain their balance so to speak by the end of the chapter so but yeah um chapter eight will be the next one and you know it's it's gonna be a little bit longer than this one <laughs> just a little bit um but yeah if you guys uh want to get a hold of me in some shape or form just talk give your comments or anything feel free to reach out at tales of red arm at gmail.com um, you can reach on facebook tales of red arm or on twitter at tales of red arm love to hear from you guys it's always a pleasure and a joy but yeah um chapter eight jara 
next episode. Look forward to uh, getting to share that with you guys. So we'll see you next time. Until then. We drink all night and dance all day And on the girls will spend our pay And when we're done then we'll await To dance with Jack of the Shadows We'll toss the dice however they fall And struggle the girls be they short or tall And follow young Matt wherever he goes To dance with Jack of the Shadows We'll toss the dice however they fall And struggle the girls be they short or tall Then follow Lord Matt wherever he calls To dance with Jack of the Shadows We'll give a yell with a bloody curse And hug the maids, it could be worse Let's ride away with the dark woods first To dance with Jack of the Shadows Here yeah. 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 yeah.